0: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, before we get started on this episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review, I want to point out that I referred to uh, Emily Tepperman as the writer of this episode. In fact, the way you pronounce that is Emil C. Tepperman, uh, and Emily is uh, not uh, Emile, clearly, um, and also uh, Emile is not a, a woman. Um, so I apologize for that. Um, that's a flack on my part. Um, very unfair to our guest, John, who prepared on his end too um nevertheless i hope you enjoy this wonderful episode with a legend of the new school of old time radio that emerged um out of the uh the wonderful bastion that is yesterday usa and i hope you continue listening to the show as things are going to be ramping up and getting very exciting as the year goes on and uh have a happy holidays guys now enjoy something behind the creaking door
1: ladies and gentlemen
2: a year valley who review
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to this special radio edition of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review, coming to you from the YBR studios in Colorado. Today, the program takes you back to the world where only sound reigns supreme, where the imagination fills in the gaps for a picture in your head that is too exhilarating, extravagant, and expensive for any silver screen, the world of radio. And tonight, that exhilarating theater of the mind is going to take you down the creaking hallways of the intersanctum. We'll have to pass the creaking door, of course. Oh, there's our host. No doubt he's going to make some wonderful puns while talking about Lipton Tea. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to settle in for an episode of Inner Sanctum Mysteries. So listen to the show and then stay behind for a discussion to delight the earbuds. <whistles>
3: Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Creaking Door. This is your host to welcome you once again into the Inner Sanctum. Come in. Come in and meet our newest guest. He'd been married for ten years and everything was going fine until one night at dinner his wife asked him to pass the knife, which he did, right through her. Then he hit her body in the town bell. That's where he made his mistake, because the next morning she uh, told on him. <laughs> <laughs> And now we can turn to a little matter of murder. Our story tonight begins on a pleasant note with a honeymoon couple. But don't start to squirm. The unpleasantness will commence soon enough. Let's look on at Joe and Nancy Stone, married hardly five hours, and parked at the side of the road by the bank of the old mill stream,
4: and whispering sweet nothings to each other. Nancy, it's wonderful to be married to you. Joe. Yeah. If <laughs> the other clerks at Scott's department store could see us now. I don't want anybody to see us. I just want to be alone with you, Joe, for the rest of my life. I hope you don't mind spending our honeymoon in a tourist cabin instead of a swanky hotel. But I love it this way, Joe. The stream rushing past. The moonlight shining on the bridge. The woods all around us. Mm-hmm. Look, there's another car. They're parking on the bridge. He's turning his headlights out, too. <laughs> they think they've got privacy. <laughs> I guess they can't see us parking. Look, Joe, that couple's getting out of the car. Yeah, for a walk on the bridge. wonder if this is their wedding night, too. Mm. It's a gorgeous car. <laughs> Joe. What? Huh? That couple are acting very strange. Huh? They're having a noisy Joe Look what he just took out of his pocket Holy mackerel A gun He's pointing a gun at her (laughs) He he shot her Holy mackerel It it can't be It must be a gag of some kind But you saw the flashes when he fired the gun Now still she lies Her body crumpled at his feet Yeah Yeah He's picking her up I-, I bet he's going to throw her into the I street Nancy, the... you, you push my hand down on the horn He sees us I... He's starting across the bridge He's for us He knows we witnessed the murder He's got to kill us too Quick, start your car He'll be here before I can turn the car around so What are we going do? We'll duck do? into the woods Come on, quick Let's run My high heels, I can't run You've got to Here, through these bushes said... Get behind this tree He's getting out of his car He has the gun Joey, he means to kill us. He's coming straight for this tree. He knows we're here, Nancy. We've got to run for our lives. <laughs> Take my hand. Come on.
5: <laughs>
4: Shooting at Man, us. Nancy, faster, faster, faster! <laughs> I'm tired, Jo. I can't go much further. We can't stop. He's close behind us. Is he getting here? Nobody's still after us. Let's stop and run. Oh, not yet. I saw headlights up ahead. Maybe there's a road if we can only make it. Oh, Joe! I'm sure I can't go anymore. Nancy, look, through the trees, is the road. Come on, one last sprint. There <laughs> it is, Nancy the road I, I never thought we'd make it is he still after us coming through the woods I don't know we'll stop the first car that comes along <laughs> oh take it easy baby
5: I was thinking of that poor girl who was lying dead on the train. and on
4: our wedding night too here comes a car I'll stop it Hey, it isn't stopping He went right by Joe what I think I hear something behind us in the woods. It's only the wind in the trees. Suppose... Suppose he should suddenly step out of those woods with his gun. Maybe he gave up. Maybe he went back to take care of that body. Our car is there, Joe. There's our marriage license in the glove compartment. And there's a seat Mrs. Fenton gave us for the cabin. Yeah, he'll know all about us, who we are, where to find us. And we don't know a thing about him except his face. Face of a murderer. Come on, Nancy. I think we'd better start walking. We've got to get to the cabin and phone the police. How much further, Joe? Just around the bend. I'd like to lie down and sleep right here on the road. Fine way to spend a wedding night. Darling, look. We're there. Swenson's the cabin. Uh, they're all dark. Everybody's asleep. Now we'll have to wake up Mrs. Swenson use her phone. Joe. What? Look in front of our cabin. Huh? Hey, that's our car. The murderer must have driven here in it by another road to wait for us. I don't see anybody around. Maybe he's in the car. Wait here, I'll go and see. No, he'll get but him. Don't worry. We both saw his face. He's got to kill us both. If I go over there alone, he won't shoot till he knows where you are. You... i shall not take it easy. Stay back here in the shadows. It'll be all right. Uh... It's okay, Nancy. The car is empty. Maybe he's hiding somewhere close by. No, oh, he must have skipped out. But why, why would he bring our car back here? He wanted to get it away from the bridge, don't you see? He must have dumped that girl's body in the river and then he took our car away. No trace. I'm scared, Joe. Maybe he's hiding inside the cabin waiting for us. He'd be a sap. One shot would wake up all the people in the other cabins, and Mrs. Swenson, too. He'd never get away with it. Come on. We're going in our cabin and get cleaned up. Then we'll use the phone. The switch is right here. There, you see? Nobody hiding. (gasps) Holy mackerel! What, What is it? Oh. Over there on the bed. But a it's the girl's body. Just like we saw her on the bridge.
3: And now we can return to that cozy little honeymoon cabin. Where Joe and Nancy found the beautiful corpse on their bed. The corpse who'd had her face
5: lifted. But
3: don't worry, before the night's over, the murderer may have his face lifted too. On the end of a row. <laughs> now, if that murderer were an Oriental, he might try to save face. But you can't save your face if you lose your head, can you? Hmm? In the meantime, I wonder what Joe and Nancy are going to do with the uninvited corpse in their
4: honeymoon cottage. Don't you? <laughs> Now listen, Nancy, we have to think this over We're in a jam Oh, for the love of Pete, Nancy This is no time to faint It's almost No, no, no Don't look at it I hate
5: it What'll we do, Joe? I don't know
4: I got to think Oh, on a wedding night To have a thing like this happen Why did he leave her here, Joe? To put us in a spot. The cops will never believe our story. Now they'll think we killed her. But Joe, we never saw her before in our lives. Nancy, we've got to get rid of her. What? We've got to take her back, back to the bridge and dump her right back on the murder. No. It's the only thing we can do. Suppose the cops come here and find her. They'll grill us for hours. They'll they'll hold us for the inquest. It, It might take a week, two weeks. A fine way to spend a honeymoon in jail. I've never thought of that. We've got to do it. We've got to take her back. But but that means we have to lift her up and carry her. I'll carry her, but you'll have to help. I couldn't. You've got to. What must I do? You go out and get the back door of the car open, and then I'll bring her out. Joe! you'll find us here with the body. Quick, throw the blanket over. I'll see who it is. I can't go near her. Oh, as I say, quick. I'll try. Give me a minute. Oh, 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 who is it? It's I, Mrs. Swenson. Mm. This blanket, it's too short. For just a minute, Mrs. Swenson. Her feet are sticking out. Get those clothes out of the valise. Throw them on top of her. That's the best I can do. All right, all right. Sit on the bed in front of her feet. Hurry, hurry, Mrs. Stone. Uh, it's coming, Mrs. Swenson. Is everything okay, Nancy? Yes, I feel faint. Bite your lip, do anything, but don't faint now. Uh, good evening, Mrs. Lester. Oh, good evening, Mr. Stone. I, I hope I'm not intruding. I saw your light, so I knew you weren't asleep yet. Uh, uh, we, we were just going to sleep, weren't we, Nancy? Uh, yes. <laughs> I should have thought you'd be asleep long ago. Oh, you see, I, I brought you a jug of my own homemade apple cider. I'll put it right here. And some glasses, too. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Swenson. It's awfully nice of you. Oh, not at all. It's so nice to have a honeymoon couple. I wanted to do it earlier, but my heart was bothering me. I have a bad heart, you know. Oh, I'm terribly sorry to hear that, Mrs. Swenson. Well, thank you for everything. Oh, aren't you going to try my cider? I thought you'd like to drink a toast. Well, we're not very thirsty right now, Mrs. Swenson. Are we, Nancy? No, no, no. Oh, of course not. I'll run right along, leave you both strictly alone. Good night, Mrs. Swenson, and thank you again. Good night, Mrs. Swenson. Oh, you poor dear, you look all tuckered out sitting there on the bed. I bet you don't even know how to make up a bed. Here, I'll make it up for you. Oh, no. Oh, it's the least I can do. Now, you just sit over here on the chair, my dear. Please don't. Why? She means, please don't bother. Oh, it's no bother at all. Oh, look at all these clothes. all thrown What's this? We can explain everything. Shot. She's been shot. Murdered. Please, Mrs. Swenson, it's not what you say. Murdered. You're no honeymooners. You're murderers. Stop that. Stop that. Stop, that. stop it. Stop that. Stop it. Oh, your head. I'm just
5: trying
4: to stop her yelling. Please, Mrs. Swenson. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, what happened? I don't know. She, she just went limp and slid down on the floor. Mrs. Swenson. Mrs. Swenson, are, are you all right? Mrs. Swenson. What is it? She. She. She's dead. Joe! You killed her. You smothered her to death. I'm a murderer. Me. Joe stole and killed him. We started out on a honeymoon, and now I'm I'm a murderer. Joe, Uh, uh, oh, I I I I was kind of busy for a second. Joe, please. You look like a ghost. You're trembling. Nancy, what are we gonna do? Are Are you sure she's dead? Yeah, yeah. Look at her face. She's dead. and that one on the bed. We're in a jam, Nancy. In a bad jam.
5: Oh, Joe.
4: I wish I were dead, too. Well, is for murder. But it was an accident. You didn't mean to kill Mrs. Swenson. Yeah, but how will we ever prove we didn't kill the other one, too? We'll never be able to find that guy with the black roadster. The cops will pin the wrap on us. Joe, take me out of here. I can't stand it. Her on the bed. And Mrs. Swenson on the floor. Let's go away, please. Far away. You mean... Run away? Anything, anything, but let's not stay here. I won't go to jail. I won't. Take me away. Yeah, Please. yeah, yeah, we, we'll get out. We'll keep going. Nobody knows our names. They can't trace it. Come on, get the clothes packed. <laughs> Joe, I can't close this belief. I'll close it. you get the other one packed. Now, don't forget anything. Look under the bed. Be sure we don't leave a single thing behind. No. No, mustn't leave anything behind. Everything's packed, Joe. Hurry. Hurry. All right, I'll take the bags. You put the lights out. Hey. What, Joe? What's wrong? I just thought. Our fingerprints are all over the place. What do we do? We've got to wipe them off, off everything. Grab a towel. We'll wipe everything inside. sight. <coughs> We've wiped everything, Joe, I think. The bedstead? Yes. The bathroom, the faucets? Yes. The doorknobs, the dresser? Yes, yes. The water pitcher? Yes. And that's all. Let's go. Joe, the cider jug. We didn't wipe that. We didn't touch it. I'll wipe it anyway. Snap it up. All right. Come on, then. I'll feel better in the car, out in the road. Joe, do you think we forgot anything? I don't know. I can't think. I'm numb all over. Darling. All Macro, mackerel, Nancy. I'm a murderer. I'm a killer. Running away. We shouldn't have done it. We shouldn't have run away. Joe, it's not as if you killed her on purpose. It was an accident. Nancy, you realize you're married to a murderer. But it wasn't murder. So easy. So easy to kill. I never thought it could be so easy. All I did was hold my hand please, over her face. Please, Joe. What, what time is it? It's almost two o'clock. We've been driving for an hour. we got a cigarette. I think, I think there's some in the glove. compartment. I'll get them. Joe. What? Our marriage license. It's gone. Are, are you sure? It's gone. It was right here. The murder. He took it. But why? Why would he take our marriage license? I don't know. I can't think straight anymore. He knows our names. Everything about us. Joe. There's no use our running away. He knows who we are. We'll always be at his mercy. Oh gosh, I feel all it. I, I I can't drive anymore. I I gotta rest. I I gotta think. Pull up at the side of the road. Look up ahead, a gas station close for the night. We can park there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. I wish I could sleep for a hundred years. Poor Joe. Here, put your head on my shoulder. The first night of our honeymoon. And maybe the
5: last.
4: <laughs> Clock. What? Hey, it's daylight. I slept all through the night. I guess I fell asleep too. It's cold. Yeah, we should have closed the windows. see baby, you look pretty. Your hair must stuff. Joe. Gosh, your hands are cold. Here, let me warm them. This is our first morning together, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, our first morning together. This isn't the way I used to dream about How did we ever get in a mess like this? We're back where we were last night in the same jam. Nothing's changed. There was two corpses still in the cabin. What do we do? Joe, let's not think about it for a while yet. Let's let's go find a place for breakfast. Our first breakfast together. After that, we'll go back to thinking about it. But at least let's have those few minutes. Sort of stale stay of execution. Yeah. Okay. There's a place, Joe, a diner. Yeah, but I haven't got much appetite. What we both need is something hot. Think there's an alarm out for us yet? Yeah. Let's not think about it. Oh, well, the customers inside, so that's rain good. Report good.
6: Morning. morning. You've you been all traveling night. all
4: night? Yeah, yeah, all night. Ah, uh, some scrambled eggs, please. Right, It'll take a few minutes. Hour. It's all right, we'll wait. Room. I'll turn the radio for you.
6: This is brought to you. This is your friendly neighborhood station with the early morning local news. During the night, death came to Mrs. Hannah Swenson, whose tourist cabins are located on the Bay Park Highway. Joe. Yeah, yeah, right, right off Route 27. Mrs. Swenson's body was discovered by Oscar Jansen, the handyman, who was awakened by the sound of a car driving away from one of the cabins. Investigating, he found Mrs. Swenson lying on the floor of cabin three. Dr. Macklin, who was summoned immediately, noticed that Mrs. Swenson had died of a heart attack. heart attack? He had been treating her for a severe heart ailment. And I didn't kill her.
4: All Joey people, didn't say anything. She had not taken more the than
6: other body. The state police are anxious to contact a couple who occupied the cabin and who apparently left during the night. They are traveling in a blue Nash sedan, license number SN1637. Their names are not known as yet, but if they should hear this broadcast, they are requested to call at the state police barracks as soon as possible.
4: Let's get out of here, Nancy. Say,
5: hey, I can't wait. We're in a hurry.
4: Come on, Nancy. What does it mean, Joe? Why didn't we mention the other body? It's a trap, Nancy. You get it? They're keeping mum about the girl's body. Joe, I don't think so. What? Well, what else could it be? We left two bodies there, didn't we? We shut them out off. Maybe the real murderer was waiting close by all the time. Maybe after we left, he, he went in and took the girl's body away again. I don't like it. I want to get away from here, far away. Wait, Joe. Don't you realize you're not a murderer? You didn't kill Mr. Swinson. It was a heart attack. That's what they say. I say it's a trap. Now, let's get moving. Joe, it's too late. look. Stay troop. He's coming right over here.: Sure. He's got this license, no. Well,
2: I guess our honeymoon is
4: over. Well
2: are you Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Stone? Yes, you're Joe Stone? That's right. And you, lady, you're Nancy Stone? Yes. Well, then this belongs to you.
4: What? What is it? Take it. Our marriage license.
2: Where'd you get it? One of our men happened to be cruising down by the old mill stream last night. He saw a fella get out of a roadster on the bridge carrying a girl's body. The fella dumped the girl over the rail and our man went after him. They had a gunfight and the fella got a slug through the heart. When we went through his car, we found this. And on the back of it, you notice, he wrote your license number. It was
4: like you figured, Nancy. The killer was waiting outside the cabin all the time. And after we left, he came back and took the girl's body away again. Then, officer, you, you got the murder.
2: Yeah, sure did. But we didn't recover the body of the girl. It was carried downstream. stream. may take several days to find it.
4: But, then we're not wanted for anything?
2: Well, you're the folks that were in Mrs. Swenson's cabin last night. We figured you left in a hurry. Kind of embarrassing to have a thing like that happen on your honeymoon, huh? I can't blame you. But...
4: Then we're free to, to go on our honeymoon.
2: Just come down to the barracks and sign a statement. Then you
4: can be on your way. Uh, w- w- would you mind, officer, just a few minutes? We want to go back in the diner for our honeymoon breakfast. <laughs>
3: you, didn't we? I'll bet you expected Joe and Nancy to come to a bad end. It's too bad Nancy had to be framed for murder, but we just couldn't resist framing her. She is as pretty as a picture. And, oh, yeah. would you care to hear our recipe for eliminating crime? Well, it goes like this. To prevent a murder, you must commit the murderer before he commits the murder. Think that over for a while. And then you'll be ready to murder someone. Hmm? (laughs) (laughs) Well, friends, it's time once again to close that creaking door. Until next week at this same time when we'll be back with a little hunk of (laughs) horror.
4: has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
0: Well, wasn't that wonderful? And I don't think it was a convenient ending at all. In fact, we're going to talk about why that's not a convenient ending. And we're going to talk about our appreciation for the work of Hyman Brown and Mason Adams and their lovely work on this particular episode of Inner Sanctum, which came near the end of its run on radio. Uh, The Inner Sanctum Mysteries is one of many horror programs to terrify and delight audiences of the old-time radio era. But what do we see in Inner Sanctum Mysteries that carries into the work of today? And how do we appreciate Inner Sanctum Mysteries in a world where we have... Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, and several other things to terrify us with sights rather than sound. Well, we can't do it alone. With us is a broadcaster and podcaster whose work on The Glowing Dial Live has delighted audiences and fans of old-time radio for years. And here he is with us in studio via Zoom to talk about his love for the inner sanctum. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Matthews. Hey, thank you, Zach. And I should Good say, your you. actual name is Big John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you've
1: seen me in person. You know why they call me Big John.
0: Yeah, I, 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 think of it. I think you're Big John because you you carry a big responsibility of delivering old time radio to the folks of the world out there. So that's why they call you Big John because you carry a big responsibility, my friend. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do. Um, but welcome to the show. Um, So a a bit of background for the audience is um, we met uh, rather hurriedly during the Jack Benny convention. (laughs) Um what happened was is that we as we were preparing the convention there were tech it's tech things that we needed to go over and our first meeting with each other was r- thrust right into the middle of uh work getting stuff ready to go and uh you delighted me by playing several um uh clips from uh from a certain gentleman named Mel Blank um I, I <laughs> believe I believe you know which clip I'm talking about it's the one and only uh this <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the, the the scream yeah. to end all screams for Mel Blanc um, yeah. so uh, right away I knew that you I could connect with you however um, my introduction to the world of YUSA began early but it didn't really rekindle until the last year or so and that's where I discovered your show The Glowing Dial Live um, and the first episode of it that I ever heard was the one that you did with Laura Lebowitz um, which I want to say is something that I still listen back to because it's not just Laura, but it's also the other, uh, woman you had on talking about Jack Benny fandom. And you really kind of like, what I loved is that you dug deeper into it and asked questions that I wouldn't have thought to ask with it. It's similar to hope Sears. Like every time I listen to folks like you, I'm like, man, like these guys are asking questions that I wouldn't even think to ask when it comes to the Benny world. Um, so you have a you have a, a a clear indication of your brilliance as a broadcaster is contained within that episode. And I wanna ask you, how did how did this become a thing for you? How did you get started on your journey in presenting old time radio to the world? Wow. Okay. Uh we gotta do this in capsulized form. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
1: long story. You got thirty but- seconds. Go. <laughs> 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 what am i john mashita here <laughs> um but, um way back when i was like 11 years old i heard a record album and it was a part of um the mercury theater on the air doing war of the worlds and i was sold i thought this is outside the box this is awesome orson wells is a genius
0: did you um uh, was the portion that you heard part of the news broadcast or was it part of the end? Yeah.
1: No, a little of both, a little of both. Okay. Um, I, I, I think the whole broadcast didn't exist then. It was just parts of it on this one uh, album. Uh, but I had a teacher that let me take the album home and put it onto a tape. And, uh, you know, she didn't let anybody else do that. So that was the beginnings of what I now refer to as the glowing dial archives, mm. my collection, And it used to fit in a shoebox.
0: Yes. That's something you brought up in the episode that I first heard is that you had your first Jack Benny episode in a shoebox box too. Um, was uh-huh. it, were, were they tapes like, yes. uh, cause yes. that tapes? Yeah. That's, that's similar mm-hmm. to how I got started too. Cause I had, but I also had the radio spirits luxury. So. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't in those days. It yeah. was, uh,
1: some uh, company called National Recording Company and uh, a couple other ones that were uh, a little lesser uh, of quality, mm. and I got them from the local library. And uh, the inner sanctum, we just heard mm. is uh, one of them from the shoebox back in those days. But uh, so fast forward there, I used to sit in my room and pretend that I had a radio station. I put the tapes in that play and I'd announce them. I'd give a little bit of a background on them. And little did I realize that in 1996, a fellow named Bill Bragg in mm. yesterday USA radio would make that come true for me.
0: Mm. Yeah. The, so, the legendary uh, Bill Bragg. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so we, uh we won our spot, you know, the listeners got to, uh, the supporting listeners of YUSA got to vote one night. And I still have that program. I edited it down to uh, roughly a half an hour of all our friends calling in and voting for us. Mm-hmm. And it's a bittersweet thing, Zach, to listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are a few people that aren't with us anymore.
0: Yeah. I um, and- I wanted to bring that up, if you don't mind, because sure. um, something that, one of the you're actually kind of at the forefront of something that I'm I'm working to start doing on this show, which is interviewing folks like you, Walden, the Gasmans. If if the Gasmans can forgive me for over talking on the show that they had me on, <laughs> I would love to interview them because um, one of the reasons that I have access to this material is because of folks like you. Um, we, we don't have old time radio without you guys keeping it alive there is a dearth of appreciation for the work that you guys have done. Um, I don't, and I don't, and I don't like the fact that you guys don't get mentioned in these Wikipedia pages and these, these like Mm -hmm. mentions of like what work you guys did. Um, Like, frankly, the fact that I have to explain who the gasmans are to people is astonishing to me. Um, Yeah. Especially when they were working out of, um, forgive me if I get the call sign wrong, but KCP KCP uh, Pasadena um, uh, where they were working out of the community radio um, for yeah. cal- uh, California Public Radio I think it is mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah if I got the call sign wrong apologies to John and Larry but um, and a lot of my exposure to the work you guys have done has come through other collectors saving your recordings um, uh, or your episodes um, our mutual friend Johnny Holmes um recorded several of your shows and put them in uh and put them together. So like I think that you know there is a I don't appreciate how uh uh you guys get um uh overlooked and Bill Bragg is no longer with us unfortunately. Um right. but I've listened to some archive recordings when he was talking with Joan Benny and those episodes are delightful. And one of my favorite ones in particular is that it's, it's a YUSA with a young, with a young Walden Hughes, (laughs) Uh (laughs) which is to hear Walden as a younger man is delightful because I can hear like the the speed of the speed of his delivery is just like Mm. sharp as all hell. Um, But he, uh, there's an there's an argument with Bill Bragg, Joan Benny, and another guest about how to properly make a cob salad. That is <laughs> <laughs> because they were talking about the Brown Derby and how it was famous. Oh, the guy, the guy was from the magic castle. That was the thing. Um, oh, and they I, I, I might be that they were talking about the fact that the chef from the Brown Derby or one of the chef, one of the cooks from the Brown Derby went over to the magic castle. Um, <laughs> And uh, they were talking about the way to make a proper Cobb salad, and Joan Benny, the late great Joan Benny, kept insisting that, like, well, there's a book on how to how to make it, and that's how I make it. And then <laughs> you get into this little spiff, and all. I mean, if for audiences, if I can, um, if I can, uh, when I locate it, I'll play a little clip of that. Um, and the, um, but to me, like, you guys deserve that. So you, when you got voted on. You started commencing out of YUSA, which, for folks who don't know what YUSA is, I'd love if you could kind of, like, run it down for us.
1: Uh, Okay. Um, Yesterday, USA Radio Superstation was a station founded by your friend, my friend, the man who had a million friends, maybe more, Mr. Bill Bragg. Uh, Down in Richardson, Texas, the whole thing ran out of Bill's home, and... uh, you should have seen the place. I mean, it was literally, to quote the Adams family, a museum where people came to see him. Was it he like really the inner sanctum? To see him. <laughs> 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 well, no, the door didn't really creak, you know. But, uh, and he wasn't creepy. He was just, you know, he had that big, deep voice. Uh, He's boisterous. Uh, Come on
0: over here. I'll give you a great big bear hood, you yeah. know. And it, it, there's something comforting about that. listening to him. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we've we patterned our show uh, after his style of just, you know, being laid back, homespun. Uh, but uh, yesterday USA was started in 1983. And it was the voice of the National Museum of Communications, which Bill started mm. and ran for uh, quite a while. And then he had to turn it over to uh, to other people. I don't even think it uh, exists anymore, unfortunately, because, mm. uh, you know, Bill worked in the uh, in, in Dallas in the TV industry mm. for many years. So. Uh, yeah, he uh, it was uh, via satellite in those days and also the Internet. Mm hmm. And uh, he had to have a big uh, C-band satellite dish, those big six-foot dishes. Oh wow! Now uh, my co-host Steve, Steve Archive urbanic I call him Archive because he's a vast walking storehouse of useless knowledge. But, uh, <laughs> that sounds familiar. Know, he, he's a good guy, and he's still uh, he's still my co-host on the uh, recorded version of the show. Mm. But uh, so he got himself one of these. Satellite dishes. Somebody sold them on it. So I had to drive over there one hot summer night to see this thing. And I was like, I got to have one. <laughs> so I got one. <laughs> I'm going through the audio subcarriers. Each, uh, each channel on the satellite had, you know, different audio frequencies you could uh, tune in. And uh, YUSA was on uh, one of the subcarriers of WGN. Hmm. And so I found old-time radio, and it's like we hadn't had that on the air in the Detroit area in a number of years. Mm. And it was the Hall of Fantasy the night the fog came. Ooh, oh. so uh, I, and I called Bill gave the number out, I called him, asked him how to get a program guide, and it just it 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 mushroomed from there, you know,
0: hmm. And and today, Why USA um, still runs over the internet over red and blue networks, um, yes. and which I which I love. By the way, I love that there's that there's a differentiation. Um, and it, what what I found interesting in becoming a reacquainted listener, because um, I told Walden this, and I'll tell you this. But mm-hmm. um, the first time I ever heard Why USA was in middle school, in the computer class of um, uh, of my middle school. And what we were doing was we were, we were learning how to use different programs on the computer. I think one of them was building a blueprint for a house and learning how to draw architecture blueprints and whatnot. And full disclosure, I never became an architect. So, <laughs> um, and part of the reason might be because I was too fascinated by tuning into... Well, iTunes used to have iTunes radio. Um, I, they don't really have it on the program anymore, but it would stream old-time radio and one of the shows that I landed upon was why USA and that was when I first heard the voices of folks like Bill and John and Larry um, as I got older and going into college my love of old-time radio was kind of like sidelined for other things but then as it reemerged emerged um, in my uh, journey to get sober and became much more uh, I became reacquainted with it essentially Hearing these things has become just as as valuable, if not more valuable, than even listening to the broadcast themselves, because what it does is give background and history for it. And it's amazing how much you inherently learn from folks like you guys on how to then do your own show. Um, and what I appreciate is is that you guys have done this for so long and continued to do it. You, you still do glowing dial live and you still contribute to, um, John and Larry's show as well. Um, and I, I'm curious, uh, before we jump into inner sanctum and our history with it, mm-hmm. what, how is it, how is it still working on it all these years later? Like, how does it feel for you? Well, <laughs> um,
1: it's a labor of love, Zach. It really is. I, I wouldn't be doing this if, uh, if i didn't love it if i really wasn't into it and right now i have been through a lot of health issues i'm still suffering with a a lot of things good handful of uh problems and i've been in and out of hospitals and uh past couple years uh, health's kind of gone downhill Mm -hmm. this is a therapy for me Mm. in a lot of ways and it's, uh, where I can be happiest, I guess, is when I'm on the air interacting with the listeners. That's, uh...
0: that's a lovely thing to hear. Um, cause that's what, it, that's what it's become for me in a lot of respects as well. Um, mm-hmm. you, you and I've talked, um, off mic and, uh, in several other various capacities about our own struggles. And, yeah. um, I, you know, uh, First of all, I'm very glad you're here because i'm I'm super excited to have you on here, but also that you that you do continue to do it in spite of the frustrations that surround that that can surround your situation. Um, because it to me, it it reminds me that anybody can carry onward with the things that they're passionate about, no matter what stands in the way. And that's something that I think is invaluable to anybody listening is to hear, that even though you go through those struggles, you are still doing this because you love it so much.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we're we're expanding as far as uh, places that we are heard. Mm-hmm. Um, my good friend Corey Harker, uh, who runs Stay Tuned America, he is going to uh, be starting Tuesday carrying or simulcasting my Tuesday live show, which is Fibber Mickey Tuesdays.
0: <laughs> and we're playing back all the Fibber McGee's. Uh, Do you have in a broadcast cl- order? Do you have a closet that you use as a live recording sound effect? Because I'm not going to lie. <laughs> if not, I'm going to build one for you. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. Get out your construction stuff and
0: uh, and just fill it with all my junk. You,
1: yeah. The blueprints <laughs> you mentioned, you know, get those out and we'll...
0: <laughs> get my middle school blueprints out. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> But I I like mm-hmm. that you're expanding that too. Um, it, it it gives an accessibility to people that we can, because one, obviously, we're gonna be promoting the links to where to find your show on on our liner notes on on iTunes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, Fibber McGee Tuesdays, like it's fun that you bring that up because I've been getting more. I've been re, uh, I've been learning to reappreciate appreciate Fibber McGee and Molly. Um, and it's not because I never lost the appreciation, but it's. Jack is my center, so um Mine too. Mine yeah, too. Yeah, we're 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 very much at the center of Jack. But like Faber McGee and Molly, like learning more about Marion Jordan in particular has made me really appreciate her work and the struggles that she went through too. Um and listening mm-hmm. to the shows where she's not on, it's not yeah. that for me it's not that they're not funny, but you can tell that there's something missing and you can tell that Jim is worried about her. Um, mm-hmm. but, and, and uh, so like, I love that you're continuing to do that. it's similar to what, um, uh, ch- I think it's Chuck Shader who did the, the, the appreciations of Fibber McGee and Molly in, out of Chicago. Um, I could be getting that name wrong, but, um, Chuck Shaden, uh, no, uh, yeah, Chuck yeah. Shaden. Yes. Chuck Shaden. Yeah. Cause he also did the, um, history of the Jack Benny program, which I started listening to recently. And his interviews are incredible. Like the the stuff he got out of people is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, thank you for being here, John. Now let's let's um let's let's get past uh, the sentimentality because we're here to talk about horror. <laughs> And
1: you, you don't want a sentimentality. I was about to start crying here, Zach.
0: No, no, it's it's well well it's it's in okay. touch with my
1: feelings. You know
0: yeah. what Well, I I'm glad that we did that, but but the but our host won't allow crying inside the creaking door. <laughs> you have to listen to his puns first, uh and laugh. Because we're here to talk about the inner sanctum. Now, you right. said that this is the first one you heard out of that shoebox. Mm-hmm. What is it about it that stuck with you all these years later?
1: Well, probably because it was one of the first ones. Mm. Um, it, you know, as, as you know, it, uh, it survived as an armed forces uh, broadcast, mm-hmm. uh, and which you know a lot of old time radio shows do. Uh, unfortunately, that's the only copy that we have of some shows.
0: Yeah. It's funny because, like, so some of the recordings that I listened back to um, still have the Lipton Tea commercials in them with the tea lady. But um, there's a good chunk of them that don't. And uh, a statistic that I found troubling was that of the 500 programs that they broadcasted, only 200 remain in circulation. That is frustrating as all heck because Mm -hmm. it's it's. And for people who don't know, the Armed Forces Radio Service was um, basically carrying transcriptions um, overseas to people who wanted to listen. Um, and the consequence of that is that some of them are edited out commercial-wise. So, like, the episode you heard today doesn't have the, the, the Lipton commercials. It doesn't have—that's uh, why the editing sounds weird on it. Um, right. Because it, it jumps from one place to another. <laughs>
1: And they, they put their own clothes and music on there too. Mm-hmm. And uh, their own filler music too. For like a variety show, they would put, you know, other musical numbers that weren't part of the original broadcast. Right. Just padding, you know.
0: Yeah. And so with this one in particular, um, I will, I will kind of, I will give a brief history for myself on Inner Sanctum. So, I, as I was telling John in the um, uh, in the pre-show chatter, um, I'm a little bit more of a lights out appreciator than Inner Sanctum. However, Inner Sanctum uh, is something that I grew to appreciate um, a little bit further because um, Adam Roach, who does the Secret History of Hollywood podcast, when he was doing his Universal Horror series, he talked about the fact that there was a series of films. For Inner mm-hmm. Sanctum, starring Lon Chaney Jr., and I was heretofore unaware of that until I heard his podcast on that, and to me, that was that was a an initial like jump-off point of like you've got to explore these, and at some point we will talk about an Inner Sanctum movie on this show, like Death Where uh, a uh, Pillow of Death is the one that I'm uh, thinking of in particular because that title is just mm-hmm. remarkable, um, and it's actually a good movie. Um, but the first Inner Sanctum that I ever heard was off of the Radio Spirit's 60 Greatest Shows of All Time where they did Death Wears a Lonely Smile um, from 1949. Mm-hmm. And it didn't stick with me as much as Lights Out's Come to the Bank did, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is my favorite Lights Out episode to this day because it is the first one I heard, which you know lends credence to how you stuck with this episode. But yeah. Inner Sanctum has a lot of stuff at the forefront that ends up carrying into today to an appreciation level that might have gone from sincere terror into a camp. But I think that there's still a, uh, a love for what something like inner sanctum has to offer. Now, before we talk about inner sanctum as a, uh, the episode in question, we should talk a little bit about the history of the show. Um, the show aired from January 7th, 1941 up into October 5th, 1952 for over 500 broadcasts. It had two different sponsors, Carter Liver, Carter Little Liver Pills (laughs) and Lipton Tea. Um, Mm -hmm. and this starts with the work of Hyman Brown. Um, now how much do you know about Hyman Brown, Mr. Matthews? Well,
1: hi Brown. Well, he, uh, he did the CBS Radio Mystery Theater mm-hmm. in uh, 1974 through '82. Mm-hmm. That was his kind of his comeback. He uh, he did. Uh, let me see here. He was uh, known as High Brown. Yep. He did a lot of radio. Um, let me see here. Um, he produced more than thirty thousand radio programs.
0: Yep, including Adventures of the Thin Man bulldog yeah. drummond dick tracy flash gordon uh, mm-hmm. the this is one that i've never heard of the private files of rex saunders <laughs> i'm like i've heard of it i've heard of it yeah i'm, I'm genuinely curious about that now you're um, looking at the same thing that i am right yes now, aren't cause, cause <laughs> this is the yeah we are looking at the same resources because um funnily enough high brown lived into the 2010s <laughs> um yeah he uh, he stuck with it for a while but according to the Hyman Brown official website he is the son of a tailor um, uh, from a shuttle near the Ukrainian seaport of Odessa um, and he learned about radio from a shop teacher at Brooklyn's Boys High School and at 18 he began pro- broadcasting on New York's WEAF reading newspapers with a Yiddish dialect um, and uh, one of the listeners was Gertrude Berg who wanted him to play Jake, her husband, on The Goldbergs, which he did for six months. Um, and then he continued as a radio actor but began to pitch shows directly to ad agencies, which on ra- within radio in particular, uh, a good portion of how those shows are able to get made is through ad agencies connecting the performers with these uh, sponsors in particular. Um, I think one of the most famous instances of how the history has been traced on that is actually through Jack Benny's association with young and Rubicam, um, and how Jell-O a product that nobody wanted to touch (laughs) became so amazingly popular under Jack's tenure. Um, and, uh, now inner sanctum in particular, the history of it, I found interesting is that initially this began as a series of mystery stories as published mystery stories. Um, which falls in line with the origins of something like the Shadow, which started off as a pulp magazine before it became um, technically the series we know today. But right. this was coming under Simon and Schuster, and the first title that was published was um, uh, was by Jonathan Jonathan was by Cloud Houghton called "I Am Jonathan Scrivener," and this is something that I, I don't know how familiar you are with this, John, but. I found this interesting in terms of publishing history, which I'm not like versed on by any stretch. But the imprint for Inner Sanctum carried several other genres that were indicated by color. So if you got a blue cover, you got drama. If you got a red cover, you got romance, and the mysteries were green covers. <laughs> uh-huh. Now that uh-huh. that's interesting to me because I don't, uh, I certainly never experienced that with any books that I got as a kid. So um, that to me that that to me is kind of interesting how because i'm assuming it's because they couldn't afford to like do elaborate cover art on each book and it's just like a standard like hardback yeah. book um but the when this show pops up on the air in 1941 um the the original host for it um uh was a First of all, I'm just going to say I prefer Paul McGrath. We're going to talk about Paul McGrath a minute, but uh, Raymond Edward Johnson would introduce himself as Raymond. (laughs) Right. And um, now I like Paul better because he is anonymous, technically. Uh, He is just your host behind the creaking door. Um, Right. And Paul McGrath, I did not fully realize how... uh, it's amazing how many of these people back in the past have like such varied histories that lead them to these careers. Um, I didn't know that he was a engineering student at Carnegie tech. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea that he was on stuff like big sister and Do- young Dr. Malone. I had no absolute idea that he was part of the Clifford Odette's play, the big knife. <laughs> um, So these guys have, when you hear like a voice on a radio show, it's amazing how much they actually did um, by comparison. Um, He is in a face in the crowd, which we've talked about on this show and the role of Macy. So he he found a way to find himself into film history as well. Um, And I think you and I, John, are both bigger fans of Paul McGrath um, as the host and announcer.
1: I, well, you know, I think uh, both of them, uh, I would be fans of um, because I met uh, Raymond Edward Johnson. Mm. Um, a rather humorous and embarrassing story. Uh, it's a quick one. Mm. Um, we met him at uh, one of Jay Hickerson's friends of all time radio conventions. Ah, uh, yes.
0: 90s. Who, who was mentioned on this show by Laura Leibowitz as uh, the uh-huh. person who gave her her start.
1: Oh, Raymond was in a wheelchair, I think a uh, severe arthritis and you know, his hands were kind of, you know, wizened and everything. And, uh, but he had a big smile on his face. He was glad to talk to people. So we oh, "Hello, hold on, Mr. Johnson. It's, it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. And, uh, we, we had asked him if we could do an interview and he said, well, you know, I've, I'm doing some readings and, uh, if I had the time and we didn't, you know, Actually, we didn't get the uh, have time to do the interview, but like an idiot, I asked the man for an autograph, Aww. realizing right at the time that he probably couldn't hold a pen um, because of the, you yeah. know, the arthritis and everything. And I said, oh, Mr. Johnson, I am so sorry. I, I should have realized that you, you probably maybe have a you know, hard time holding that. He said, no, no, I tell you what, let, let's give it a shot. And what did you want me to sign? So I had this uh, Radiola album of uh, Inner Sanctum episode. So I said, "Well, here, this is an album." He looked at it and said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah." Um, so I gave him my Sharpie, and he put R E J. He just put his initials on there, and I still have that. Oh my! God. So what a great guy! I mean, he he totally understood, and uh, you know. Oh. So, uh,
0: now that i
1: could have gotten the interview and an id spot from raymond you know i mean hello creeps (laughs) you know you're listening to the glowing dial with your creepy hosts (laughs) big john and steve you know it would have just been beautiful you know but uh
0: but the fact that you had that interaction with him is incredible. And yeah. you know, like and and I should say like my, my preference for Paul McGrath extends from the fact that that's you know, that's the first one I heard, but also like I do like the fact that he's anonymous, but that doesn't mean by any stretch that Raymond is not amazing on right. the show what he did. Um yeah. but you picked an episode that was interesting to me because this this uh story was done prior to other times, and this is something that was done regularly within mystery shows of this era where they would redo scripts sometimes with different actors. Um, uh, if they didn't have like a new one for that week, and this one was performed three different times. And I was curious to know if you like heard the other versions of this leading up to our discussion before I did.
1: Uh, Larry Haynes was in uh, one of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: The one from 45, I believe.
1: Yeah, and I was I listened to that uh at some point. And I said, well, you know, that's I'm sorry, I'm I'm partial to Mason Adams version. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know, I just I, I guess I like Mason as an actor. Yeah. Everybody will probably remember him uh from the T V series Lou Grant.
0: Yes. Um that Charlie Hume. Yeah. The, uh, and also Um, which I've still never seen this film because I'm omen uh, Light. I I love the original because Gregory Peck just going, Damien! Um, But um, uh, he is the president of the United States in Omen 3, The Final Conflict. (laughs) Uh Um, And um, something that I wasn't connecting the dots on until researching this today, I love the series From the Earth to the Moon, the HBO miniseries. And he plays Senator Clinton P. Anderson on that uh, miniseries, which it's not particularly easy to find unless you're going through DVD or have the HBO max account. But I would check right. out from earth to the moon, ladies and gentlemen, it's an, it's a wonderful mini series done by imagine television um, that covers the, the, the space race. Um, and, you know, he was part of my childhood technically. Cause I do remember this is that, mason adams was the voice of a cartoon on a cartoon for sesame street that featured a triangle and a square um and uh those definitely played in reruns um and he's also in a movie called fx uh which is a horror film uh uh, about special effects and this is the one john that i I'm embarrassed to say that I think this is my. F- I'm not emb- actually. You know what I'm not embarrassed to say this was my first exposure to Mason Adams. Would have been Son in Law with Paulie Shore, <laughs> um, where he plays the okay. wo- role of Walter Warner Sr. <laughs> hey Mason. <laughs> um, now the other one that was done is in '47, and but we picked the one from '52 to talk about because this is the first one you heard. And mm-hmm. I will say that Mason is wonderful on this, and as we talk about the plot, um, I will point out that like his performance inspired anxiety in me. Uh, I don't know if you still get this, but the way they are both delivering, him and the gal playing Nancy, which we couldn't really confirm <laughs> um, who played Nancy, because I don't have the listing. If I see the listing in Martin Graham's book, I'm going to add an addendum here. But... Mason's really good at vocalizing for the theater of the mind anxiety. Um, there's something about his performance to me that really carried the tension of what would happen if you were caught in that situation in a oh, yeah. way that didn't feel hokey to me. Um, it, it it felt genuine, which I think is interesting to think about, because when we think about these radio mystery programs of the era, they come off as melodramatic um, cheesy a little bit for a modern uh, ears, but I, I don't know if you feel the same way that I do. But I was engrossed by this to the point where I'm just like, no, I have to know how this ends. <laughs> like these, I'm I'm on board with these guys. Like I'm I'm I sympathize with them. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the the writer of this uh, was Emily Tepperman, and she had quite a little legacy here. She not only wrote for Inner Sanctum, she also wrote for Suspense. Um, she was prolific throughout the era. She wrote things like Dead Man's Deal. According to my research, she also did Detour to Terror, Skeleton Bay, Terror by Night. Uh and uh. and I th- and I Walk in the Night. So like she she had a lot to her credit. And Terra by Night is the one that is mentioned a lot by Inner Sanctum uh, when it comes to researching it. Like, it's always mentioned. Aggie um, Moorhead, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the uh, within that, let's jump into the plot of this. First of all, we are welcomed into The Creaking Door by Paul McGrath. <laughs> um, and he gives, uh, like, I'm, I'm just, I, I wrote down every pun he wrote, John. Because uh-huh. I want to just, I want to revel in its brilliance. I, I really do. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big appreciator of puns. Um, he said, oh, "So, you know, yeah, come in and meet our newest spirit. He's been, he's been married for ten years, and everything was going fine until one night his wife asked him to pass the knife, which he did right, right through. through. Her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you almost want to have Sammy Weiss in the background going like." <laughs> <laughs> like just doing yeah. that drum beat when Mel Blank is yeah. doing the announcements for Anaheim um oh yes, yes. yeah like that's, that's one of my favorite Benny bits because he'll delay it for a second and then Mel Blank goes watch it Sam <laughs> um Cucamonga. He, yeah Cucamonga or uh Nashville Ma- Nashville Hashville Kalamazoo <laughs> takes on water at Waterloo <laughs> dun, dun, yeah dun, 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 dun. um <laughs> Then he goes, then he hit her body in the town bell, and that's where he made his mistake. Because the next morning, she, uh, she told, told on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's so wonderful. Now, that's when we get the story of Joe and Nancy Page, what, which yeah. the, one, the, back, the first one of these recordings that I heard, the 45 one with Larry Hames, they credit the mm-hmm. actors at the top. And I, I'm curious from your perspective, knowing that this is an armed forces radio service one, do you think this is one where the armed forces radio services cut cut out the credits of the actors or was this inner sanctum? just Quite not- possibly.
1: Mm. Quite possibly. Um, I don't know why they would remove that, but because uh, they removed commercial references, every commercial reference. Is uh removed, but uh,
0: which is partially because the armed forces doesn't directly endorse products um, right. of that nature, yeah.
1: So, you know, something you, you should mention too, um, that uh, gave Inner Sanctum its flavor, mm-hmm. made it different. You know, stories weren't always supernatural, they were just sometimes just murder mysteries, but yes. It's the beautiful organ playing, the creepy organ organ playing by Lou white. Mm. It really,
0: uh, set the tone, which I will say that I've heard organs on other programs being utilized. This is the one yeah. that works the best. This is the one yeah. where like, cause obviously in a soap opera, they're going to play it. And you know, it's, I'm, I'm not a big soap opera listener, so it's not my right. highest exposure point. This one though, it works for the atmosphere and, uh, to to elaborate on what you just said, this is a murder mystery that we're talking about here. This is not a, uh, or a murder story. This is not necessarily a supernatural story or, but it is horrific. And one of the things that Inner Sanctum does as a program is because of its atmosphere and because of how the, the stories are presented by whoever is writing this story, it comes off as horror and not as detective or even noir. Um, right. I would make an argument that this particular episode uh, dives deep into noir territory because of the first, I'm going to explicitly say it's because of the first time it was broadcast in 45, which is coming out of the time where we're in a post double indemnity world where noir is taking hold and taking shape. And mm. the idea of these average people cut up in an, uh, uh, unlike uh, uh, an uh untypical scenario at places them into the CD and the depraved very much carries noir but since it's radio it's not going to get that classification right away <laughs> um, right right but the that organ music that you mentioned is essential because it it gives us the sense that we are watching something that's terrifying it yeah. that atmosphere is necessary for something like Inter Sanctum and for Lights Out for that matter um, you don't, I mean, cause otherwise this would just be another mystery story.
1: Right. Lou white, uh, unfortunately died young, mm. uh, only in his early fifties. And what is it about organists? Uh, Ken Griffin, another wonderful organist. Uh, he, he died young as well. Did, did they make um, deals with the
0: devil? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. Sure. I'll but give I you have, classic uh, organ playing, but
1: I have a 78 that I grew up with. Mm. It's on the Brunswick label, and it is Lou White on the Kimball Unit Organ from 1927 playing Honolulu Moon, (laughs) and you know it's it's, you know it's a nice it's a nice song. I mean, it's it's not you know inter-sanctum by any means, Mm. but uh, you know. So he, uh, I I often wish there was uh, some kind of soundtrack album out of uh of that. but i don't know how they would uh i don't know how they would get those uh, pieces and
0: isolate them yeah because it's, you know you could like feasible you could feasibly do it as like clips and sections um true yeah. he, you know he he did a lot of shorts too from d- looking into him right now um mm-hmm. he yeah. um they started in 31 and goes up to 42 and he, uh, I, th- I find interesting to this is that he dies three years after Inner Sanctum ends on radio. So it's mm-hmm. just like the moment Inner Sanctum left, it started collecting the souls of people involved. <laughs> yeah. So to, to lend an narr- The stories behind
1: uh, Poltergeist, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the bad luck that we uh, yeah. some of the cast members there.
0: Yeah, it's either that or it's just a curse against organ players, which now that now that you've said it, I'm going to start believing it. <laughs> <laughs> um but we let, let's talk a little bit about Joan Nancy Page's dilemma. They're on their honeymoon yeah. and um <laughs> they they are lovingly engaged in a uh, couple banter and the way the story is written they are we are getting their point of view of somebody getting out of a car with a woman um and having an argument and the man shoots the woman and they are basically uh, they they could feasibly get away with it but nancy honks that horn (laughs) she she had to slip and honk that horn (laughs) Yeah, and uh, from there we are thrust into their little adventure which I will say because it consists of this paranoia and anxiety there is sort of Hitchcockian suspense attached to this tale Um, and it becomes in particular when the killer has taken their car Mm. and parks it outside of the a honeymoon cottage that they make their way to because that was their next destination and they're going there to basically hide out. Yeah. And their 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 paranoia is justified like the killer if the killer has seen them and the killer has their marriage license which we find out a little bit later, you know, they're they're conceivably on the run and at the mercy of this man. <laughs> and uh when they go into their cabin, they find that he has placed the body of the woman he shot in their cabin, basically framing them. And yeah. Yeah. W- we get this uh, the, the, the Hitchcock theory of the bomb under the table how it works for film, um, where we as the audience know it's there, but some of the characters don't. This comes in the form of Mrs. Swenson yeah, barging yeah. her way in and they hide it under the sheets. Now, the reason why it's not full Hitchcockian suspense is because it's usually that comes at the perspective of the audience knowing, but nobody else knowing. Right. But I'd argue that this one carries that same tension because we are treated to them covering it up um, and her ignorance of it until she pulls off those sheets. So it's a matter of waiting for, like, when is this going to go off? When is when is she going to yeah. discover it? They hold poor it. Mason. Yeah. And poor Mason. Oh, my God. So this is why you I think s- she's the
1: killer. I, I'm a murderer. I'm a murderer. <sighs> yes,
0: because so when when Mrs. Swenson discovers that the the, the body is there. He puts yeah. his her his hand over her mouth to keep her quiet because she is in hysterics at that point, which I mean, I guess if I saw a dead body, I'd be like, Oh my god <laughs> <laughs> And um and so when he puts his hand over her mouth, she collapses to the ground and it's assumed that he killed her. That's why I love his performance, is because he because he is put in an in atypical situation and forced to go through this paranoid journey of being discovered by either a killer or the police, his anxiety rings true when he go, when he discovers that he might have killed Mrs. Swenson. Um, and we're kind of left in this mystery about it. And there is another, uh, uh, uh middle of the road, um, pun, uh, pun fest with um, the, when they're doing the commercial break, essentially, we get the other, uh, the middle pun, which is, and now we can return to that cozy honeymoon cabbage where Joe and Nancy found the uh beautiful corpse on the bed. The corpse had had her, her face lifted, but no worry, before the night is over, the killer will have his face lifted, too. <laughs> At the end of a rope. At the end of the rope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And he says... Now, he says something that I do want to clarify for the audience because this isn't, like... This isn't problematic, but it is, like, interesting because I wasn't aware of this. Um, he said, now, if that murderer were an oriental, he might have tried to save face, but you can't save your face if you lose your head. And the reason why I say this isn't, like, a problematic issue is that, like, a- apart from the fact I wish he wouldn't use the term oriental, but whatever, um, where we've, we've discussed this on the show, this the terminology is used, <clears throat> but in Chinese culture the concept of face uh mianzi mianzi refers to the amount of dignity or prestige that's associated with an individual so saving face means to keep from losing respect for oneself or to avoid embarrassment which we know that phraseology obviously i didn't realize it came out of chinese culture before um so that was something that i found incredible was is that the writing of this piece regardless of how dated it might be it is pointing to like the origin of the culture that coined the phrase, um, which I, did you know about that prior to um, coming on here? Uh, no, not at all. No, no. That's, I, I think that's something to, a cool thing to take away from it is, is that you get to learn about a different culture in the process of this CD mystery story.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's it, it, like an interesting benefit to the writing of this program and the, the, the outer <laughs> writing of the, of the interstitial efforts um, you know
1: the, the funny thing is the one thing I did know about uh, the Chinese language is uh, a friend of mine, uh, his wife is Chinese, and you know her family, and uh, he was telling me how how difficult the language is. Well, English language must be as difficult for a foreigner to learn mm-hmm. too. Yeah, but there is a word in. Chinese I don't know if it's Mandarin or there there are different uh, dialects mm. but it's um, the word is like ma and and, and then there's ma there's mm-hmm. a very subtle difference in the pronunciation of the two words right one one means mother and the other means jackass really <laughs> so you know
0: um, that that <laughs> I'd like you to meet my jackass. <laughs> no, no, my mother. Uh, <laughs> that, that you know. that's interesting to me to learn how, like in but I mean, I've always known that the language the Chinese language is is incredibly difficult to learn. I, I know Mandarin in particular is is a difficult um language to learn mm-hmm. perfectly. And so, like the idea that we're even getting this taste of it in this episode, regardless of how it's phrased, for its time is like one of those things where I'm just like, that's pretty cool. Cause I wouldn't have thought to look that up if I wasn't, you know, like listening to this and kind of like getting into Paul McGrath's narration. Like Mm -hmm. I, I do feel like something wonderful about this is that if the performer hits you right in these radio shows and you are caught up in that candor, you will learn something in the process. It's like with Jack, whenever he mentions like a restaurant or a street in LA or something like that, like, because he gets you involved in the world, it makes you want to learn more about the things that they're talking about. Right. Um, which, right. from a with the hindsight that we have of like those places that did exist or places that still exist, we're we're caught up in the history of it. So it gets you involved. Um, and presumably in between this is when we would have had a Lipton tea commercial, which, Um, I'll put this in post, but I am going to play an example of one of the Lipton tea commercials from another broadcast of this script.
3: You're going to need plenty of red corpuscles to digest tonight's gory little dish. Hmm? What's that? Oh, you'd like to have a recipe. To a small quantity of apprehension and a pinch of dismay... And cook on a slow fire. Adding dread and panic in appropriate quantity. Then throw in a dose of terror. And a whiff of horror. And make it boil, brother. Make it boil. Hmm. Mr. Host, not a very appetizing dish. Let me give you my recipe. All right, Mary. Well, take equal parts of warmth, good cheer, and human comfort spice with a brisk flavor, and you have Lipton tea. Yes, and serve it only to people who know how to enjoy life. For Lipton's famous brisk flavor makes this tea a grand welcome drink. You see, brisk means that Lipton's tastes tangy and spirited, never flat or insipid. So friends, I wish you'd try Lipton's, even if you're not a regular tea drinker. That brisk flavor is something very special. It's the reason why you'll like Lipton's. Well, now here's a personal question. How would you like to go on a honeymoon? Mm-hmm.
0: I just love the idea of this tea lady trying to go like, well, now say you don't need to be creepy. All you need is Lipton tea. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, it, Mr. Host. <laughs> imagine if, imagine if, you, if that was the way to solve all the world's ills, which is just like, listen, listen. You don't, you don't need to start at that fire, Mr. Arsonist. All you need is some Lipton tea. <laughs> um and uh but then we get back to the story mrs swenson uh discovers the body and they're now on the run again and the only thought that i had coming up to me was like oh my god this is the worst halloween party ever (laughs) like honeymoon party (laughs) ever to have like this all unfold for you um it's like a it's a dark comedy haunted house in a certain respect and I alluded to this in a certain respect in our pre-show chatter, but like if the Cohen brothers had made this, this would have been a dark comedy because that's essentially what kind of plays out like one tragedy after another, one unfortunate situation after another. Um, right. Like it just keeps kind of playing in that respect. And that's why the noir fits in. But the other thing that Mason does, John that I loved about this and I'm glad that you presented this to us is that when they are, absolutely stretched to their limits he talks about the fact that he wants to lie down and he's all in yeah and I love the idea of these radio shows which they do this in multiple other shows Uh, getting at the exhaustion of what it must be like to be on the run or to be in that paranoid state like that that anxiety and that terror running through you like you would be tired like you'd want to go to bed (laughs) and the way they transition into the next day where they want to have this one normal breakfast is kind of wonderful but then this is where we get the ending that clears joe and nancy completely yeah. um you want to tell the audience how uh like reiterate for the audience how this wraps up
1: well they uh, they're in they go to uh the diner and they uh they want to have one honeymoon breakfast before they have to uh I guess pay the piper you know and uh, meet up with the law because mm-hmm. they know they're gonna get caught and uh, so then the police pull up and they figure, okay we're we're done for now, uh, but then the cops you know come up and they they talk to them, and uh they say, oh, by the way, uh, we found this." And, you know, the girl, Nancy says, "Uh, what is it? Here, take it. (laughs) It's our marriage license. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, (laughs) so it turns out that, you know, the cops caught the guy Mm -hmm. and uh, shot him. Yeah. Shot him dead. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which we didn't talk about it before, but like when they're on the run from him and those gunshots are firing – like mm-hmm. that's that's another brilliance of radio is those sound the the best sound effects men doing their doing their genius work. Those gunshots are unsettling as they're running, and you get the sense of them running through the field.
1: <laughs> Some shows, though, used cap pistols, mm-hmm. and they are not at all convincing. Right? You know, because you you you're ten you you're tempted to laugh when you hear this little you know kids cap gun going off is oh come on really that's supposed to be dramatic tension
0: yeah yeah <laughs> you you know. you'll hear that especially on western programs in particular yeah um, right this one though sounded like a sniper's rifle to be honest it was like it was mm-hmm. very like yeah. i'm certainly not a gun expert but it's one of those things where i'm just like no i know the difference between that sound effect and the other one this one right reminded me of from a film standpoint it reminded me of the anxiety that i feel watching the movie zodiac where i was like this the 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 sound effects here combined with their anxiety and terror like that that gave me this perspective of just like man like this sound work is incredible like
1: it put me there sound effects i mean if we just for a moment jump to jack benny yeah sure because we we can't Totally ignore Jack. He's our favorite. We've know.
0: we've done seven episodes on him, guys. If you're bored by this section, tune out. Yeah. Turn off your radio now. <laughs> by the way, this uh, this show does run by the radio code. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll, I'll get that out. I'll get those announcements out. If you're not careful, Yeah, <laughs> I have the album. But uh,
0: although the radio code Jack after did me. all those uh,
1: radio code things, yeah. <laughs> Um, but um, but yeah to the beauty jam. of a sound effect Especially in a Benny program Could be your punchline
5: mm-hmm.
1: Jack's going over to the Coleman's To get some flour So he can make paste for his scrapbook He's too cheap to buy a bottle of glue you mm-hmm. know? So he's walking along with his cup And he's singing his theme song to himself And then you hear clink Oh thank you <laughs> One of the biggest longest laughs they've ever had And even Jack breaks up one little sound effect. Mm -hmm. And that's your punchline right there. And that's just the beauty of radio. Yeah.
0: And that, and also knowing when to not do anything, like when to carry on a scenario, when to carry on silence too, in particular. And this particular episode of inner sanctum does that, um, at certain points where they'll have dramatic pauses that end up benefiting the dialogue. Because when you write for radio drama specifically, you have to describe what is being seen by our characters in a Mm -hmm. way that doesn't seem expositional or creaky. And I feel like this is a script that gives POV uh, a good justice point. Like I don't, I don't feel like it's forced in the writing. Um, I do feel like they are because of the way the dialogue is written when they witness the murder they are trying to process it for themselves. Now we, as an audience can hear that today and be like, well, this is, you know, this is contrived in order to do it for radio. And it's like, no, but if you put yourself in the theater of the mind and you're putting yourself in those characters shoes, this dialogue works completely. And what's more, this was probably terrifying to an audience at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really, as it's capturing that post-war paranoia, the fact that it's rebroadcast in '52 extends into jumping into the paranoia that you would still find in the '50s. Um, so sound effects are incredibly important to this whole scheme, and Jack is the cream of the crop example of that, hands down. Like, yeah, I think sound effects in radio have the legendary, uh, the legendary weight that they do because of Jack, um, because it's talked about as often as it possibly can which is the best thing possible um but yes and it's revealed that mrs swenson also died of a heart attack because she had already been suffering from heart ailments um Mm -hmm. which so like there there was a i was looking in research i found an otr uh site and i won't i i don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable with the review that was written for it but i did want to bring it up because i I disagree with it with all due respect to this reviewer. He said, improbable events follow improbable events in this suspenseful action-packed story. The plot twists and turns suggest many exciting possibilities, but eventually peters out with a weak ending. Tepperman seems to excel at pot- plot twists, but hi- but endings are the weak point. And I'm like, mm, I don't fully agree with that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like part of that idea of, throwing them through that repeated uh, terror and twist upon twist for radio in particular for a 30 minute program, it keeps you on edge. And if the goal is to instill the emotion of terror or panic, then I think it succeeds in that front. Um, Is it as powerful as other inner sanctum stories? I mean, i'm sure there are better ones but this one is no uh, to me it's no weaker than any other one um i don't know if like if you have a particular opinion on the ending years later after having listened to it for that first time from the shoebox (laughs)
1: um not really no uh it's just uh it wasn't your usual inner sanctum ending as as mr host uh uh, says you oh, know what's this <laughs> fooled you Happy. didn't we i no. bet
0: you expected joe and nancy to come to a bad end it's too bad yeah. that nancy had to be framed for murder but we couldn't resist framing her she is as pretty as a picture mm-hmm. <laughs> it, 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 i i i put into it the the notion of um i don't feel like there's any convenience because the play is dealing with inconvenience explicitly and therefore has this dark comedy undertone, which the more I watch Ealing studios movies in particular, (laughs) um, the more I'm understanding how wonderful this can be when done correctly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so that was the wrap up on it. Um, the show ends, um, inner sanctum ends, this same year, like not more than a few weeks later, the show ends. Um, and Hyman Brown ended up living into the 2010s. And how familiar are you with his post, uh, post inter sanctum career apart from CBS mystery theater, John?
1: Well, CBS mystery theater is, is mainly what I was uh, aware of. Mm. Um, I know he did he did, he was, you know, involved with other things that uh, it's just mystery theater because I discovered that in uh, nineteen seventy nine mm. and was delighted saying, Well, they're still doing dramatic radio. That's awesome. Which That's is great.
0: A, it's a big fan favorite of a lot of people like as I've been doing stuff with Spurred Vac and Reps, when CBS yeah. Radio Mystery Theater is mentioned, everybody's eyes light up. <laughs>
1: like Yeah, definitely. I mean I've got my favorites and some of the ones I heard That were in the (laughs) shoebox, you know, um, John Beale in The Outsider, Mm. nice little sci-fi kind of tale about uh, he gets off uh, his train uh, uh, in a town, uh, Hanover Hills, which uh, seems to be locked into time. Nobody ages or anything like that. So,
0: uh, I'll make a confession on the air. uh Uh-huh. I heard CBS radio mysteries once when I was younger and I've never gone back to it, but the more I keep hearing about it, the more I need to go back and listen to anything that I can on it because it's, yeah. it's too powerful a, a memory for people that I can't not investigate it further. Um, I will tell you that one something that I found was interesting was that he, because when, when we were doing the same research on here, Hyman Brown later on in his, St- studied career in the fifties. He bought Adolf Zucker's famous players studios at two twenty one West Twenty sixth Street in Chelsea. Mm-hmm. To yeah. he, he made it into Chelsea Studios, and when television arrived, he produced twenty six episodes of inner Sanctum for TV, which also mm-hmm. featured Paul McGrath as a um as a voice announcer. Like so, it's you don't see the announcer off camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he also did a daytime show called Morning Matinee he realized all these guys making TV, they have to have a set. So he profited by buying those studios in Chelsea that were used for 35 years by New New York TV production firms. Um, Mm -hmm. And he created a nonprofit educational foundation where he produced They Were Giants, um, which was a program dramatizing the lives of literary figures like Walt Whitman and H.G. Wells. And we, the living fact-based dramas about the lives of senior citizens. So he, he carried on further into the next generation, but arguably, I guess this is unfortunately a testament to people in my age bracket, which it's not to denigrate people in my age bracket. We're not necessarily expected to know all this, but I didn't know about Hyman Brown. I didn't even know he was living up until 2010. Mm-hmm. And I didn't yeah. know how much he was carrying on the art of old time radio. He taught audio drama at Brooklyn college and the school for the visual arts, which is a, uh, the school that my uh, former guest Henry Jarvis goes to or went to. So, you know, Brown brought a real gift to the world with his radio work that has uh, g- carried on for folks like you. And I think that, I mean, John, do you have any thoughts for as we're wrapping up about what Hyman did for the industry.
1: Um, that's kind of a stumper of a question. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm grateful that, uh, he did, uh, Sanctum mysteries and, uh, CBS mystery theater. Those are the two things that I am, uh, I know him for the best. And, uh, what I did disagree with at the time, I don't know why he did this. It could have been, uh, you know, copyright reasons. But when uh, they re released some of the CBS Ministry Theaters mm-hmm. to uh, National Public Radio, and High Brown replaced E.G. Marshall's narration with his own. Yeah. And, you know, no offense to, to Hyman, but it's, he didn't i was so used to eg marshall's narration right it set the tone and to have you know hyman come in there and try to do that it just it didn't ring true for me right and i don't mean that to be an insult to the man at all Mm -hmm. Um, there had to be a reason that he did that and it might have been uh something to do maybe with eg marshall's uh you know copyrights maybe with his estate or whatever i don't know
0: right but
1: there there usually is a reason
0: for that right it could be disagreements between the act the performer and Hyman. um yeah could be i you know i i i feel what you're saying on that um and i and i do take that into account about how he alters that and uh you know um I need to listen to it further to kind of like judge my own opinion on like how does it affect right. um something that I think ultimately what Hyman Brown leaves for the world is that because he was continuing to educate the public on radio drama um I feel like that's an asset because whether it's him or anybody else in the industry that's continuing that format into as late as 2010 there's a reason why it's still a viable form of entertainment because of folks like him still sticking with it because it was very easy to just give up and go to television only. And I love that he continued to do that. So I guess like for me, the legacy of Hyman Brown is that he never stopped Mm -hmm. and which I think is, you know, it sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the show about not giving this up and, I think that that's a testament to somebody who you know when you're when you're on this earth for 99 years and a lot of it is dedicated to the theater of the mind that's something incredible that you know not even Bob Hope was like like carrying the flag of radio into his 100 years um he's a that's a guy who just kept moving forward with whatever mode of entertainment was there in front of them you know um well bob had a sad ending of course yeah
1: if you remember those kmart commercials there was uh and they 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 pulled those Mm. from uh, tv really quickly and because bob just wasn't in shape they had to have an announcer standing next to him yeah uh, delivering most of the dialogue, and it's almost like they had to, you know, poke Bob to go. Oh, it came hard, yeah. You know, and it's just oh, that was just yeah, insulting to Bob and his memory mm-hmm. of what he once was, Rapid Robert. You know, yeah. They called him, and uh so I think you know, I I saw those, and it was sad. It really was sad, and they they pulled those. Yeah. And I, from TV pretty quickly
0: yeah it seems like but it, se- it does seem like Hyman was a- able to carry it albeit through a different format because mm. since he's not yeah. explicitly a performer he's able to um, keep going in a different way which I think is good that he adjusted to his uh, not necessarily adjusting to your age because you can t- I mean th- there's no limit to what you can do as a, as an elderly person obviously the if you're not in the obituary have breakfast documentary proves that there's more than enough value of having gone up in years and still doing things that fulfill you. Um, But as far as the legacy of inner sanctum, obviously the, we talked about that, this film, this, this, this this series on radio and from the books inspired the series of inner sanctum films, which featured Lon Chaney jr. And Gail Sundergaard that had calling Dr. Death, weird woman, dead man's eyes, the frozen ghost, strange confession, and, Pillow of Death. Um, mm-hmm. And they're more whodunits mixed with horror um, and generally carried uh, a similar through line where Lon Chaney Jr. was on the run, but then proved innocent and Pillow, pillow of Death, he finally ends up being guilty of the crime, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is a great way to end that series. But Inter Sanctum was also a, a period of parody, a, a point of parody for people. Um, Harvey Kurtzman and Will Elder, um, satirized the series for the fifth issue of Mad Magazine with Outer Sanctum. Uh, uh-huh. In the opening yeah. panels, host Raymond greets the reader: "Come in, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to fix my squeaking door. What you say? You're not a carpenter? Then you have to come here. You have to come here a story. Very well, <laughs> <laughs> like a begrudged <laughs> Raymond. <laughs> um, but in you other you, little, little
1: parodies too. Yeah." You
0: know, I, we're gonna talk about those because you 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 are lovingly because you are the stoop radio host that you are you have some <laughs> you have some clips for us the first one though is from the three stooges short the ghost talks
1: <laughs> yes it is Samo, larry and champ the sooner we get out of this spooky joint the better i
2: like it <laughs> <sighs> Whoa, what was that? Why, that was,
4: why, that was the creaky door. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Desmond of the Outer Sanctorum. Strange things will happen in this mysterious castle. <laughs> Who could get along without a nice bloody murder, hmm? Yes, there will be strange happenings. <laughs> oh!
5: Oh! oh,
1: oh. What happened? Strange happenings. That's strange. Come on. Oh oh oh! Out out All out! Wow! Well, oh! <laughs> yeah. All, all too brief there, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was cute. Yeah.
0: Um, I I I need to go back to the Three Stooges. It's been too long.
1: <laughs> oh yes. I Used yes. to love them
0: as a kid, and I just fell off. I think the Marx Brothers took over that love from that that spot in my heart for me, but I still love the Stooges. and and that's uh that's during the shemp years um and i I, and i like i i think that that's kind of like there's a there's also references to the inner sanctum on other radio comedy programs of the era as well Um, right i know jack mentioned it more than once um there's uh although jack also did parodies of whistler and suspense as well um The Fiddler, yes. Yeah, the, The Fiddler. We will talk about The Fiddler at one point because there are two versions of that show and both are absolutely wonderful. I actually love the... Side tangent for a second on Jack. I love in the... A uh, redo of that script in the '50s, where there's a controversy about him being on a TWA airline and not getting his uh, me- on-flight meal. And in the middle of the Whistler parody, it goes: um, it has Mel Blanc playing a rep from TWA, and he goes, "I'm from TWA. Here's your sandwich, and keep your big mouth shut." <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you know, obviously, we've talked about the par- in the parodies of this, though obviously. The Warner Brothers cartoons was never uh, never shy of referencing pop culture and I don't think anybody out there in the world will forget when Bugs Bunny was entering an abandoned Victoria house and it had a squeaky door and he said huh? Sounds like innocent <laughs> <laughs> and That's from Racketeer Rabbit featuring uh, Racky and Muggsy <laughs> Oh, yeah, oh. yes.
5: Uh,
1: uh, what was it? Uh, yeah. You know, would I throw a light
0: match if he was in there? Yes. You
1: might, Rabbit, you might.
0: All right, come out, Rocky. Come on out there.
1: <laughs> All right, Rabbit, you've convinced me I look for Rocky in the city.
0: <laughs> you might, Rabbit, you might. Oh, no, no, that's not. Yeah. Uh, that's the <laughs> It's the cop. That's know. the cop, yeah. Um but yeah, Should no up <laughs> <laughs> shit. I love my favorite Rocky and Muggsy still has to be where they're trying to get Daffy to lay a golden egg because he lied about <laughs> being able to be the goose that laid the golden egg. <laughs> yeah. You get yeah. just five minutes to lay that egg gore. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, the 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 inner sanctum was a point of parody in in time in, in media of its time. Now the episode, an opening of an episode, uh, used to be uh, used to open one side of the whole Burbank catalog, which is a compilation album in 1972, Um, and the announcer's jokey pun in this case concerned an author friend specializing in bestsellers who tried to bury him in one because all the very bestsellers got in with S C E L L A R S uh, have corpses in them, and. The backward version of that creaking door effect led directly into get in, get it on by T-Rex. So that that surprised me. Um, And there's a I want to look into this. There's a British 60s radio comedy called Round the Horn that did sketches um, that were influenced by the show. And Hugh Paddock uh would introduce the scary sketch with the door words inner sanctum tum tum mum mum yeah. mum, 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 mum. <laughs> Pretend yeah. Pretending to echo. Yeah. Um so to wrap it all up, uh John, uh if you were to sell Inner Sanctum to people today, um specifically with you know in a younger generation who's going to discover these shows thanks to youtube thanks to folks like you especially uh even more than youtube i think it should be from folks like you because you play high quality versions of these shows um what what would you how would you sell it to uh an encroaching generation who wants to get scared out of their wits audibly
1: well um you said it yourself uh earlier uh you know in this world where you've got uh, jason and michael myers and all that we're kind of jaded in in uh films and, and tv because it's all right there for us there's no uh, no place for our imagination really to go and with radio it uh they created the soundscape you made your own picture and mm-hmm. in the case of uh Certain episodes of Lights Out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, they're... Uh, the chicken heart. You don't want to picture it, you know? Yeah. About, you know, the dark, the the black stuff that turns people inside out. Yeah. And, uh, and,
0: and, and the one I just mentioned, the chicken heart one, is um, quite unsettling when you picture it in your head. <laughs> um, and I think that Inner Sanctum does that, too, because when I was listening to this one in particular, I found myself invested in that story. And I, I created a location in my head of what it would look like. And, yeah. and like oddly enough, I pictured it in color, not in black and white. And um, sometimes I'll do that with certain shows of the era. And this one, it was a full like vivid color imagery in my head of like them running through to escape the killer and the cabin and right. what it would look like. And mm-hmm. one thing that I'll add into that is that, you know something that's brilliant about horror on radio in particular is that it's designed to play with your fears in a way that film can't even do. Um, because, because you have no visual to relieve your anxiety because it's putting a visual to your head when your mind is left untapped, when horror is placed into it, it allows your brain to fire up synapses of darker visions than, maybe right. even the creator intended. Um, I mm-hmm. use Lights Out as an example. Come to the bank unsettles me because of a sound effect of a person stuck in a wall. And your your brain can't handle the, the image in, in your head of that. And for me with Inner Sanctum in this episode in particular, there are two things that happened with it. Number one, I found myself in the cabin with that body. And found myself with them trying to cover it up. Like that whole, like that investment in the in the story got me into that place. And yeah. the gunshot sounds in particular, I could feel the energy and feel myself running through that field. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, and I think this will bring it back to folks like Raymond and folks like Paul. When I think of The Creaking Door... And those ho- horror host openings, which carried on into television with folks like Vampyra, uh, uh Elvira, and even horror hosts like Joe Bob Briggs. You know, there is something about having fun with the horror genre that extends from something like Inner Sanctum. I, I, arguably, it starts in places like this. Having fun with the material with bad puns or right. comedy to offset the terror and to have, it allows you to embrace the horror genre really like, uh but it we, starts on radio. Really?
1: We had uh, the ghoul
0: mm. as our late
1: night host here in the Detroit area. Uh Actually he was on a lot uh, other Kaiser uh, broadcasting stations out one in LA as well. Uh, but he was, he was the reason for staying up late on a Saturday night,
0: which, which is something that, no. I'm I'm glad that the generation that we have today has streaming in a lot of respects because something like a Joe Bob Briggs exists. Yeah. But we there's a part of my age bracket that didn't get a chance to experience Elvira, Vampira, Svenguli, or right. the ghoul because we we came out of a different uh progression of media. But mm-hmm. we're getting that appreciation of it now. And former guest on the show, Matt Willicks, even created um, a, a character of his own that he developed called Uncle Grimly, where he was doing that very thing on YouTube where you would interact with the videos would play out where you would pause it to watch the movie and then you would press play again to hear it to watch his introduction. And so, like, uh-huh. people still kind of carry on this spirit, but it really starts with people like Paul and Raymond allowing us to come through that creaky, that creaky door into the inner sanctum.
1: Yeah, and to remember, you know, if you're trying to sell Inner Sanctum to people now, mm-hmm. um, especially the young, and who, like I say, are jaded by what they've got in their video games and, uh, and everything else, uh, you have to tell them to put themselves in a different time. Mm-hmm. Try to imagine what it was like to to live your life in the 1940s, i mm-hmm. say. Um, you know, those are the war years. Uh, and uh, the same thing with uh, War of the Worlds. Mm. Yeah. You, know, you have to put yourself into 1938 and what was happening in the world. Hitler was on the rise in Europe.
5: Mm-hmm. We
1: are wondering, are we going to become part of this war? hmm uh, You know, so...
0: And Orson saw that world and he was just like, what if I scared the shit out of them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know,
1: I have, uh, I have memorized his famous apology
0: Mm. uh, and can do that verbatim. Oh, that, that, that thing is, you know why I love it, John? mm. It's the final lines about that was no Martian. That was Halloween. Ooh.
1: Well, okay. Uh, yeah, do, do it, do you're it, John. you got to do it You've talked me into it. Yep. You've talked me into it. This is Austin Wells, ladies and gentlemen. Out of character, to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Mercury Theater's own radio version and dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo, Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS. You will be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. So goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. Please remember for the next day or so the terrible lesson you learned tonight. That grinning, glowing, globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch. And if your doorbell rings and no one's there, that was no Martian. It's Halloween.
0: Q Tchaikovsky. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, John, <laughs> this is Orson Welles. I, I appreciate you remembering it verbatim. Yeah. Um, you clearly, you do not sound as wonderful <laughs> as I do doing it, but you, you do a wonderful job doing it. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to go back upstairs to heaven and fight with John Huston over something trivial. John <laughs> Houseman. John Houseman. Oh, yeah. Oh Well, yes. well I, I'm referring to the John Huston friendship that he had. But yes, he could oh. also be fighting with John Houseman about something trivial. <laughs> yes, yes oh. I'm
1: going to argue with Mr. Hausman about chasing some papers <laughs> <laughs> because Puritan wants you to win.
0: <laughs> Hausman, yeah, I, was re- I was re-watching The Fog for my Halloween marathon and watching Hausman on there, there and it reminded me like, oh yeah, it's October 30th, time to re- re-listen to the broadcast for its anniversary.
1: <laughs> Almost midnight. Yes. Enough I- time, for one more story. Oh, fuck. I love One the more story before 12 mm, mm. just to keep us warm.
0: Yep. And th- and that's a, yeah. that's a wonderful movie about how a radio station disc jockey saves the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that and Tom Atkins without a mustache, Tom Atkins without a mustache <laughs> shouldn't be underestimated folks. Johnny, mm. thank you for so much for coming down here and for talking to us about the inner sanctum and your love for old time radio and your passion for continuing its traditions can you please let the folks of the Valley who know where they can find you?
1: I'm right here in my chair. <laughs> no, <laughs> no cut you can, that out.
5: <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> no, seriously, all seriousness aside, as Steve Allen used to say, <laughs> um, the website is glowingdial.com. And, uh, essentially that's that. They, uh, we have, uh, just about everything we've ever done there, uh, for listening, uh, and downloading.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: We have, uh, that's also the home of the live show too. And the live show can be heard on yesterday, USA radio. That's yesterday, net, mm-hmm. And we got a, you know, a fairly new, uh, website, still a work in progress, but, uh, uh, it's being worked on as mm. we speak, and uh, it's getting better all the time. And I am on uh, live four times a week: Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturday, and Sunday.
0: Hmm. So. Yes, and four please, and a half hours. I'll be
1: on again tonight. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I know. Which, by the way, thank It'd you for coming to do this before your broadcast. So, um, not a problem. I, I know we're we're both exhausted from lack of sleep, but I appreciate um, you. You. Powering through to coming down because i'm i'm i want to say it again for you John yeah. I'm extremely happy that you came on board here because you are kicking off a series of interviews that I want to do with folks like you who have kept this medium alive and it it is one of those things that you know you don't you obviously no one needs a plaque for the work that they do, but we talked about right. Bill Bragg earlier and yeah. he left us in two thousand nineteen. So it's two, only 2 years ago and not to bring the show on a down note but I want to I I want to uh, point to the fact that you know people like Bill saw the value in these things and decided we're going to continue this um mm-hmm. whether through fond remembrance rebroadcast or just talking on the radio in general and because of folks like him and because of the folks like the Gasmans and Hickerson we have a resource for this, not just for the shows of the past, but also continuing them, continuing them. We know that Walden has directed several, you know, or, and helped cast various recreations. Mm -hmm. Um, Our pal, Tim Knopfler has done his stuff with captain Hudson. These are, these are folks. And you're, you're certainly in this club of people who kept this thing going in a way that I don't think, Gets valued enough. So I want to express that value to you because it reminds me, it's not even just about buying it off the radio spirits catalog as a kid. It's about realizing Mm -hmm. that people care about enough, enough about this to rebroadcast it to the world with their passion attached to it. Um, And whether that's through internet radio, satellite radio, or podcasting, it's essential to have folks like you carrying the torch. So I want to thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you, Zach,
0: very much. And uh
1: thank you for what you're doing too. You know. <laughs> and uh we're we're you and I are both looking at uh hopefully helping uh, Laura Liebowitz out in the uh Jack Benny uh convention in February. Yeah, which should, I think is gonna be virtual again.
0: Yeah, we're gonna so I guess we can drop this exclusive news now. But um but um but Yes, um I, I I've been contacted by this. Um I there will be another convention. Um uh I have I have been asked to figure out something to talk about this time. And uh, having already done the Benny film convention or the the Benny film panel, which I now uh, am in the process of writing a book surrounding that subject matter. I need to come up with something else to talk about. So I'm not going to lie, folks. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've been hinting at for so long is Jack's love of the violin. And I think you guys might get to hear a dissertation about that. Um, wonderful yeah, yeah so but until then that is going to wrap it up for the yesteryear valley who review you can find out more about us on the back end of the show uh on the next episode uh we will be bringing a bella back to talk about whatever happened to baby jane uh the uh and the feud that followed between betty davis and joan crawford um and uh additionally Uh, We will be talking about M and Fritz Lang with Henry Jarvis returning. Uh, We're going back to world cinema, folks. It's going to be wonderful. And if you are just tuning into this, this is some news that can drop today. Our friend Sterling Cook brought us the work of Jacques Tati and the world of Jure Defet to the show. This is now an official new series, folks. We are going to be talking about Jacques Tati and his entire work uh, on the YBR Presents feed. Uh, this will be the new series. And additionally, I have just talked to Tyler Maybe. Another series that will be coming to the YBR Presents feed will be the entire works of the Marx Brothers. And by oh, now man. you will have already heard the five-hour episode on their work at Paramount. We will be doing the Thalberg years. We will do their stinted RKO. We will do the latter MGM films, and we will talk about the David A. Lowe's um, uh, with *A Night in Casablanca* um, and the uh, the the controversy surrounding *Love Happy*, which I will finally sit down and watch that movie for the first time <laughs> to uh, get my finally lend my opinion on it. But until all of that, until and, and until next time, folks. Good night. This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballyhoo Review and on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod. Our theme was composed by Matty Ghost. Be sure to check out more of his music on Twitch. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Look for him on the Real Nerds podcast. This is Zach signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification.